When I was a child, my family would travel down to western Kentucky where my parents were born. And there's a backwards old town that's often remembered so many times that my memories are worn. And daddy, won't you take me back to Muhlenberg County down by the Green River where paradise lay. Well, I'm sorry, my son, but you're too late in asking. Mr. Peabody's coal train has hauled it away. Well, sometimes we... Welcome, this is Michael Volkoff, and this is episode 141 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Our episode today is about practical strategies to address beneficial ownership issues, and this is part two of a two-part series that I'm posting uh, this week on the issue of beneficial ownership. Uh, before we get started, uh, here's a word from our sponsor, Steel Compliance. So- Steel Compliance is the global leader in compliance and ethics management. Steel's compliance and ethics platform is comprehensive, robust, and easy to use to promote a company's culture of compliance. Steel partners with the world's largest, most respected companies to deliver compliance products and services that help organizations embrace a culture of compliance while protecting their brand. Building an ethical culture is a complex undertaking that requires a detailed understanding of the global compliance environment, considerable time, and specialized expertise. Steel's end-to-end ethics and compliance platform is designed to provide compliance officers with the solutions they need to proactively address changing regulatory and reputational risks. Steel's ethics and compliance automated platform offers critical functions designed to promote a speak-up culture to advance employee engagement, reporting, and incident management, investigate promptly and fairly potential incidents to ensure compliance with your organization's code of conduct and applicable laws and regulations, including anti-corruption, anti-money laundering, antitrust, sanctions, cybersecurity, and data privacy. Manage your organization's compliance policies and procedures to ensure that policies are updated and disseminated effectively so that employees understand your organization's compliance requirements. Educate and engage your organization to promote understanding in how your compliance program applies to -to day-to-day operations. And evaluate and monitor your organization's business partners, vendors, suppliers, and customers to mitigate risk and ensure adherence to your organization's ethics and compliance requirements. To learn more about Steel's compliance solutions, please contact us at email steelglobal.com or call 415-692-5000. Well, thanks for joining me today on uh, part two of our series on beneficial ownership. Um, and today I wanted to try to get more towards uh, the practical risks and the practical approaches to solving the problem. Um, and uh you know, try to sort of give some suggestions on how to make this a sort of tolerable, uh, you know, project that's realistic, uh, given resources and everything. So uh, let me apologize right up front. If you have a headache from the uh, first episode on the beneficial ownership issue, I definitely apologize. Uh, the issues twist and turn depending upon whether the situation involves OFAC sanctions, corruption risks and the specific uh, permutations of ownership that can occur. Uh, And there are just a real variety of ownership situations that can occur. You know, given the nature of the burden of beneficial ownership uh, risk mitigation strategies, we have to return 
to our familiar uh, strategy of risk ranking and allocating limited resources that are tailored to the company's specific risk profile. Uh, and I know I uh, beat this dead horse uh, over and over and over, but um, this is the only way that it becomes realistic. So after we assess the risk, we then need to examine what mitigation strategies and design controls are there to sort of uh, address the beneficial ownership risk. So this is another way to sort of back into our discussion about third-party risk management uh, and again, applying um, and sort of uh, risk ranking approaches as a way then to uh, focus your beneficial ownership interest um, uh, inquiries. And obviously, we would start with our highest risk and then move down uh, as we go along. The only complication in this whole area is the fact that for OFAC purposes, customers uh, have to be included in the analysis as well. But I've rarely seen customers that, um, you know, create the most significant risk. What, what I see more typically is that there are some customer risks that have to be dealt with, but mainly your work is going to be dedicated to your third parties. So as, initial, as an initial step, just like when we talk about third parties in general, I want to go over this again to to describe how we classify our third-party population among the various categories. So we have what are called representative relationships, where the third parties interact with the government officials on our behalf. And remember, on our behalf as an agent, as a distributor, as a reseller, um, you know, all of this, these types of entities are going to interact in one way or another with government officials on the company's behalf. Uh, so that's one category. Two, vendors or suppliers that may include government owners. Uh, again, the, the vendor or supplier may not interact with the government, but it may include government owners as a way to compensate government owners uh, or as some other type of scheme. And three, our th population in terms of classifies are remaining vendors and suppliers. So after classifying our third-party po population into these three categories, we then have to stratify or risk rank them based on relevant factors. Uh, and, and at this step, it's important to keep the inquiry simple, meaning use easy-to-apply factors to rank various entities within each category. And I'm not saying that this is 100% accurate, that this formula is the be-all and end-all. Um, this is really based more on simplicity and a way to, to focus energy. So. My recommended list includes two weighted factors, which first is a country-specific ranking that can be based on the Corruption Perception Index or combination of available country-specific risk factors, industry indices for a country in which a third party operates, or one or if there are one or more, then you may have to apply a weighting factor for each uh, indices to come up with a single weighted factor. Uh, if there are one or more countries, you also may have to, uh, that they operate in uh, or significantly have a significant presence in operations in, you can use a weighted factor made up of uh, an indices for each company or an index for each uh, country. Uh, so the first is, again, the country in which the third party operates. Second, a revenue factor that's based upon the amount of money paid to or received with regard to a vendor or supplier. 
And building a weighting formula based on these two factors is a relatively simple way to stratify your third-party population. I would always make the geographic factor the, the, the sort of more significant factor, like a 60-40, 70-30 split with regard to the money. Now, as I mentioned to you before, get ready to throw your hands up in the air and give up. The above categories and risk ranking factors only address corruption risk, but at least it's a start. When you turn then to OFAC sanctions risk, we need to add, like I said, to the third-party population, the company's customer. First, let's start with a geographic factor. For SDNs and embargoed countries, a relatively accurate factor may be proximity to the prohibited or SDN concentrated country, like Iran, North Korea, and Cuba. To the extent you're on a border country that borders those prohibited countries, I would include uh, a weighting factor to address those uh, proximity to embargoed countries. Dubai is my classic example for being close to Iran. Second, a revenue factor reflects OFAC enforcement risks. The larger the amount of re revenue and number of transactions, the greater the potential OFAC penalty. With respect to customers, the risk of redistribution to a prohibited party of a specific product is more remote than when dealing with a third-party distributor. So the potential risk in a geographic area may be less than third parties, vendors, or suppliers. That's why I'm saying customers end up being um, a lower risk in general as a category. Based on the risk ranking process and to keep things manageable on an automated platform, assuming you're using an automated platform and hopefully you are, three or four categories are typically used to risk rank, high, medium, low, and very low. Once divided into these categories, the third-party population and the customers can be subject then to relevant controls that are designed in response to each of those categories. So your controls for a high may be different than a medium, which may be different to a low, and which may be different to a very low. So we're finally reaching the end of the road on the beneficial uh, ownership path because what I've tried to lay out is a simple, practical approach to this issue in terms of then concentrating your beneficial ownership analysis, making that part of your control, let's say, for a high category or for a, me a high and medium. It's something that you'd have to address with regard to risks. So, um, so let's start with a third-party population, which has been classified. Let's say there are three categories. Uh, the first two of which fall into high risk, foreign government interaction representation and government ownership. The bulk of the population, usually around 80 to, to 85 percent or even 90, falls uh, into the medium and low risk. So your 10 percent or so, 10 to 15, even 20 percent is going to be high risk. If you have a system that comes up with higher numbers than that, you need to look at the where you're setting your thresholds. So it's important to then after that develop mitigation strategies and let's start first to your high risk third parties. To address the beneficial ownership issue as part of the onboarding process, let's say for high risk, companies have the following tools. Several automated intelligence screening services include beneficial ownership information such as BVD, uh, Bureau Van Dyke, uh, on a large number of entities. 
Such services are relatively more expensive than competitor programs, but are very valuable and very accurate. Depending on your budget and need, these services can be a very helpful solution to identifying beneficial owners as an initial step for further investigation. Second control, documentation. Whatever initial questionnaire or information request is required to onboard a third-party vendor or supplier, a company should include a specific question requesting beneficial ownership information. Who owns the entity? Who's the natural person owner? In high-risk situations, in order to verify the accuracy of such information, many companies that I work with require third parties to provide documentation, certified documentation of ownership interests. Each of the beneficial owners should then be screened through whatever automated service is used by the company. The third way that we get at this issue is uh, through a tool that we have is an enhanced due diligence investigations and reports, which can be ordered for high-risk third parties and their beneficial owners in the high-risk category. Depending upon your company's service, such reports can be easily ordered and reviewed uh, on the automated platform. In other words, a lot of automated platforms allow you to order on the platform itself an enhanced uh, study and enhanced report, due diligence report, rather than going out to one of the vendors and paying a, a lot more for it usually. So those are some of the sources of information. We, we get documentation, we do screening, we ask them, uh, we ask the third party by the questionnaire to provide us those information. Now let's look at some of the controls and based on the initial analysis that we may get from the onboarding process there are a range of controls that can be applied depending upon resources and tools available. These include, number one, monitoring strategies. Okay, And there's a lot of that I've been writing about here for high-risk third parties and beneficial owners. A high-risk monitoring program could be applied, including regular internal meetings with the business representative, review of transactions, review of business activities, all designed to build a partnership in between the, with the business to monitor this high-risk third parties' activities, including transaction testing and other types of approaches for these high-risk uh, third parties. This may be, for example, a third party that represents you in contract negotiations, let's say, in Angola uh, for, uh, for uh, contracts with regard to, let's say, oil services or something like that. Second, uh, the second important tool we have is contract to invoice to payment processes. The SEC and other regulators have underscored the importance of contract to invoice to payment processes. A company has to impose and maintain detailed financial controls governing the process of contracting, the approval and review, invoice review, and payment procedures. Companies that implement robust controls in this area then have to test and audit this procedure to ensure that the controls are working effectively. In other words, we put in our contract a provision that says you have to document the services you've provided to us uh, and provide a specific layout of that. We're not, if you don't give us that, we're not going to pay you uh, the invoice, and our invoice has to include all of that detail. Uh, and a certification, whatever you want to put in there to make, uh, to make the third party provide as much visibility into what their activities have been. 
Third, I mentioned transaction testing. If the third party is an agent, distributor, or other representative, the company should test sample transactions. If a distributor, we need to look at rebates, marketing allowances, discounts. Uh, they have to be documented, controlled, and subject to consistent scrutiny and testing, and hopefully some kind of centralized approval process where we can uh, maintain a, a view of how these are uh, awarded. Uh, fourth, we have end-user certifications, which are used to mitigate third-party sanctions risks in high-risk geographic areas, like my favorite, Dubai. As part of the contract negotiations, companies have to secure third-party end-user certificates and subject them to sampling and audits as needed to ensure that the third party does not distribute products to prohibited entities or countries. This is important because uh, here we go, we're sending something to a distributor in Dubai. The risk is that they're going to sell to a customer in Iran. And um, uh, a lot of times it's a difficult negotiation that has to occur because the distributor doesn't want to give you access to the customer's name and you know uh, information because they think you may circumvent them. So you have to address the circumvention risk as well as explaining why you need the end, end user information. Um, number five is contractual provisions have to be tailored to include specific risk mitigation strategies, including FCPA, sanctions, and other legal issues, certification to absence of government ownership, requirement for end-user certificates, sampling of transactions, auditing, due diligence, refresh requirements, site visits, and other monitoring requirements. As part of a monitoring program, a contractual provision should be added to include responses to monitoring issues and change in circumstances, including a response to fresh adverse media or intelligence information that you may discover. Six, site visits and due diligence refresh procedures to collect updated information, to verify operations and ownership and control. Again, for high-risk third parties, site visits, potentially even unscheduled site visits, can be a valuable source of information or uh, process to use for verification. A due diligence refresh can be used to confirm the continuing accuracy of initial onboarding information and can be conducted at regular intervals. Well, uh, th these are really only some basic tools for addressing high-risk uh, situations, confirmation of beneficial ownership, and mitigation strategies. Companies are always developing new and innovative tools along with third-party risk management vendors. Data analytics, artificial intelligence, and machine learning capabilities are on the forefront of new tools that will enhance third-party risk management strategies. So stay tuned. There's more to come in this area. Well, I hope you enjoyed the two-part um, overview of beneficial ownership. It's a tricky issue. There's lots of sort of strategies that can be used here to address the issue. And again, my number one message is identify the issue, risk rank it, uh, and then develop controls that are consistent uh, and applied on, and, and, and instituted, implemented in a fair and consistent manner. Anyway, so thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you Thanks again for listening to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Please subscribe to the podcast series. The Volkov Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. 
You can learn more about the legal and compliance services we offer at our website, www.volkovlaw.com. You can also follow our award-winning blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and our podcast series. You can contact Michael Volkov at his email address, mvolkov at volkovlaw.com. But empty pop bottles was all we would kill. And Daddy, won't you take me back to Muhlenberg County, down by the Green River where paradise lay. Well, I'm sorry, my son, but you're too late in asking. Mr. Peabody's cold train is hauled it away. Then the coal company came with the world's largest shovel And they tortured the timber and stripped all the land Well, they dug for their coal till the land was forsaken Then they rode it all down as the progress of man And Daddy, won't you take me back to Muhlenberg County Down by the Green River where paradise lay well, I'm sorry, my son, but you're too late in asking. Mr. Peabody's coal train has hauled it away. When I die, let my ashes float down the Green River. Let my soul roll on up to the Rochester Dam. I'll be halfway to heaven with paradise waiting. Just five miles away from wherever I am And Daddy, won't you take me back to Muhlenberg County Down by the Green River where paradise lays Well, I'm sorry, my son, but you're too late in asking Mr. Peabody's coal train has hauled it away